Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in everybody to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined once again by our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns 24-7, Taylor Estes. Taylor, it's good to have you back. I know you've been under the weather for a bit, so it's it's good to see you up, healthy, and ready to rumble here on the flagship podcast. Yeah, no, it's really good to be back, Chip. Uh been a brutal like month of May, pretty much. I mean, I got back from Mexico, then I got COVID, and then my COVID turned into meningitis. So I just got off bed rest on Monday. We're recording on Tuesday. So at least I'm able to move around and uh, join you again because I was kind of getting like, you know, like, where's my buddy Chip? I, I can't even talk to him, you know, uh, twice a week like we normally do. So glad to be back here. How are you doing, Chip? Well, I'm doing fine. And we are, we're wearing gray because May is Brain Tumor Awareness Month. And as I mentioned on last week's flagship podcast, we're honoring our friend Avery Huffman, who who fought a valiant battle. She's the daughter of 24-7 recruiting analyst Brandon Huffman. She fought a valiant battle for seven and a half months uh, before dying of a brain tumor. And, um, you know, people can get more information at AveryStrongDIPG.org. Uh, but uh, Taylor, we're all about Avery Strong. We are. Yeah, we're uh, going gray for the month of May in honor of Brain Tumor Awareness Month. And as Chip mentioned, if you want to join the fight to end this terrible DIPG brain tumor in Avery's honor, um, go ahead and donate at AveryStrongDIPG.org. Um, yeah, I mean very interesting story. If you, you know, just go over to the website and check it out. You'll read all about the Huffman and their battle. And they've really donated their time and effort and resources in general, Chip, to really try to, you know, fight this, uh, this terrible brain tumor. Because at this point, I mean, it doesn't really have a survival rate of anything for children and it's mainly found in children. So it's something that obviously hits close to home with, uh, our family and the 24 seven sports network. And the Huffman family, they're doing really great things in Avery's honor. So go ahead and go to AveryStrongDIPG.org. Well, Taylor, it's um, it's May, but there's been a lot of activity with regard to Texas football. When um, isn't there, Chip? Come on. <laughs> I mean, the offseason of ecstasy continues for the no Texas offseason here. Longhorns. <laughs> I mean, from five and seven to now... Um, picking up the latest commitment from um, Iowa State tra- grad transfer receiver Tariq Milton, and I know, uh, you know, we've been talking about Jordan Addison, the 2021 Bolitnikoff Award winner, and how he took a visit to Texas, and then took a visit to USC, ended up uh, committing to USC, and you know, so that's like a 
oh, I'm excited. And uh, we didn't get him. But they pick up Tariq Milton, who is a productive player from Iowa State, was really productive in his first two years at Iowa State. Heck, his sophomore year, he caught 35 balls for uh, 722 yards and five touchdowns, had a 20.6-yard average. Then he had some injuries, but still, uh, last year, he you know, he only caught 15 passes for 278 yards, but still had an 18.5 yards per catch average, three touchdowns. One of them came against Texas on a double pass uh, from Xavier Hutchinson, another receiver. Um, he found Tariq Milton behind the Texas defense for 49 yards and a touchdown in that 30-7 to uh, beating that they administered in the second half to Texas. That was the game where Bo Davis then was later filmed chewing out players on the team bus for not feeling the the pain. I mean, this is a great insurance policy. Uh, the thing I liked the most, I talked to Michael Swain from our uh, 24-7 Iowa State site, cyclonealert.com, and Michael said that he was a great locker room guy in Ames, that the players and coaches loved him. So, look, if you can get a veteran guy – who is a good locker room guy who can line up in the slot. He can line up outside and the guy still has a hunger. I think this is a, a really good pickup because we'll get into what the receiver room looked like last year and what we were saying about the receiver room at this time last year. And it looks a whole lot better right now. Yeah, for sure. And I know that obviously you know, Texas was in on Jordan Adams, Addison, you know, a part of me kind of wonders how much of it was really just trying to not make it look like USC tampered, you know, with that uh, recruitment with him going into the portal after there was reports that he was going to transfer to USC. But, you know, I think if, you know, obviously that's a big miss, um, huge get for USC and Lincoln Riley out there. But, if you're going to miss on that guy, you want somebody else that's going to be a proven contributor. And as you mentioned, Chip, you know, there's not, he did, he hasn't really had a ton of action in the last two seasons in 2020 or 2021, as you mentioned, he was battling injuries, but still it's hard not to go back to that sophomore season of his in 2019, you know, with the 722 receiving yards on 35 receptions. I mean, those are no scrub numbers. Those would probably finish, you know, top, three on Texas roster for the last number of years when it comes to receivers. You know, I mean, obviously Xavier Worthy had a great breakout year um, last season, but like the receiving room, there have been very few receivers in the last, my goodness, probably the last, uh, probably 10 years, Chip, that even came close to surpassing the thousand yard receiving mark. And so there's been a handful, but really like that, those numbers are, are solid. I think that this is a great addition. Um, you know, I think he could play multiple positions at receiver. You know, I think he could even play in the slot. You know, we talked about this before we started recording as, you know, maybe a backup a little bit to Jordan Whittington, who obviously up to this point, you want to rely on him, but it's hard to, you know, just because he's battled injuries every single year that he's been on campus. So I think this is, you know, obviously you miss out on your main guy, but this is a really good, solid addition to a room that really needs you know, as many additions as possible, especially experienced uh, starters at the receiver position. Yeah. I mean, if you look and I I'm knocking on wood, as I say this, because I think Jordan Whittington is a, is a football player. I mean, he just oh, loves yeah. 
football, but in three years at Texas, he's played only 13 games. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's essentially one season. So played eight games last year. That was his, his career high in games. He only had 26 catches for 377 yards and three touchdowns. That was the second leading receiver total for Texas. Tariq Milton as a sophomore, as you mentioned, 35 catches, 722 yards, three touchdowns. So this is a guy who's who knows how to do it. He can back up Jordan Whittington in the slot, which is big because Texas struggled mm -hmm. um, without Jordan Whittington in terms of those, those catches over the middle, those tough catches that on third down that he was so prominent and prolific with through the first six games of last year before he broke his collarbone in the OU game. So let's look at the receiver room a year ago. And you're talking about, you didn't know what you had in Xavier Worthy. We talked about how the depth at receiver was a huge concern because you had Jordan Whittington, you had Josh Moore, but that was kind of it uh, in terms of proven production. I mean, in Jordan, I mean, Xavier Worthy wasn't even proven. Right. Now, he turns out to be a sensation, breaks all the freshman records, 62 catches, 981 yards, 12 touchdowns. Now look at the receiver room going into this season. You've got Xavier Worthy, who I just mentioned, Jordan Whittington, who proved himself uh, in the first half of last year, and even you know coming back, even though Sark said he wasn't the same player, and now he's working three hours extra a day to keep his body right and ready for football. Um, but you've, you've added Isaiah Nair, who's a six foot three, you know, huge rate catch radius, um, 12 touchdown catches led the mountain West conference last year. We've talked about his story, how he was a diamond in the rough because he was a basketball player who was discovered as a junior in high school for football and ended up being this super productive guy for Arlington Lamar and Wyoming was the only school who offered him. And this kid is probably going to play in the NFL. Yeah. And you add Ajayi Hall, who's super talented. We know that. Super talented. Six foot three burner. Can run four four. Uh, had a up and down freshman year at Alabama. Transferred out, obviously. And, and now you add Tariq Milton, who, again, this is a guy who's, who's done it. He's done it in the Big 12. He's done it against these defenses. He knows what he's looking at. He's studied these teams he can help uh, others you know study film he just brings confidence and depth and production to the room and I just think that I mean honestly when you you thought about Jordan Addison you're like why on earth would he come to Texas when Drake London the leading receiver at USC just got selected in the first round um, of the NFL draft and they need a showcase receiver Right. Texas has guys coming out of their, you know, windows in the <laughs> receiver room because you got two guys with 12 touchdown catches in that room from a year ago. Uh, obviously, Jordan Addison and his 17 touchdown catches, it would have been ridiculous. But this is I, I think this is a solid pickup. I, I like the receiver room and I think we're way ahead of, you know, in terms of depth, all of that where we were a year ago you can look at this position group and say 
much improved. Yes, no doubt about that, Chip. And one thing Tariq Milton brings, he brings five-star culture, right? Isn't that what, right. wasn't it Brees Hall that said that? Was was it Brees, Brees Hall? That, yep. Five-star culture versus They have five-star five players, yeah. we have five-star culture there. But yeah, I mean, I think you can't ask for a better situation at this point. And now it's obviously, it's easy for us to say that on May 24th, whatever day it is right now, you know, months before the season. But yeah, I think that this is, this is, far and away a better scenario um, for the receiver room now than it was coming out of spring practice last year. And, you know, I think that this is, even though I, I'm not sure, you know, um, how much Brennan Marion was able to, you know, get like Isaiah Nayer and stuff like that, because it was earlier, he was just joining the staff and all of that. But still, this is a great starting point for him as receivers coach at Texas, because the, you know, I, I think it's, it's fair to say while, you know, the addition of Xavier Worthy proved to be monstrous last year. I mean, just huge that Steve Sarkeesian was able to get him after he'd signed with Michigan. But really, the receiver room has been up and down for years, Chip. I mean, I feel like, you know, when Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey were on campus and Devin Duvernay, they were pretty solid. But it was only them. And then it's like, who's next? Like, you know, and that that's a that's not an ideal situation. You obviously want to be able to have your go-to guys and keep them on the field and not, you know, rotate crazy like Tom Herman used to um, a lot of the times on offense. But at the same time, you still need to be able to build depth. And that's been something that Texas really has lacked at receiver. And I think honestly, also obviously like offensive line and linebacker too, but receiver has been one that Steve Sarkeesian circled as a position that they needed to really um, work with this off season. And they've done this. So like, I think a fantastic job, obviously would have been great if they got Jordan Addison, but I don't think you look at this, uh, the receivers they've been able to bring in um, both, you know, signing Brennan Thompson and also the transfers they brought in. I don't think you have any, you know, negative thought in any way, shape or form, even after losing out on a guy like, you know, Jordan Addison, who won the Blitnikoff last year. Yeah, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian has replenished in one year what Tom Herman couldn't do in four, because yes. you look at the receivers under Tom Herman, Josh Moore, Alvante Woodard. Uh, these are all guys who just left. Calvante uh, Dixon, Marcus Washington. Even before the um, Brennan Eagles was one. John Harrison. Right. So this, uh, this is a remarkable uh, job in one year to replenish a room. And look, Steve Sarkeesian's reputation is, I'm going to spread the ball around. I coached a Heisman Trophy winner in Devontae Smith. Uh, it's not easy to win the Heisman Trophy as a receiver, but it happened under my watch, and I know how to to get the ball to my playmakers. And they saw what Xavier Worthy did, so they're believers. And and now we'll see if this group can be as productive as they look right now, because um, obviously we are a week away from seven or six. Six offensive linemen uh, coming through the door, including Devin Campbell and Kelvin Banks. And those are the guys who are going to have a, a lot to say about the kind of protection that uh, that Quinn Ewers or Hudson Card will need to get the ball to these playmakers. But the receiver room is is a lot better off. And then when you look at, you know, B. John Robinson, Roshan Johnson, uh, and Jonathan Brooks and Keelan Robinson – and then Jaden Blue learning from those guys, you got skill talent 
um, like like we haven't seen in a long time, as you mentioned, Taylor, because it's it's been a minute since you've had uh, incredible uh, production from the running back position um, and and from the receiver position. And my gosh, Xavier Worthy, what, 19 yards from a thousand yards last year. So I I fully expect him to to break through that thousand yard mark this year and then who knows what's going on with Isaiah Nair and Jordan Whittington, Ajayi Hall, <laughs> Tariq Milton, and don't forget Brennan Thompson's coming in. He just ran a 10-200 at the state track meet. So, and some Williams, even though he's a tight end, he also is a guy that's a pass catching threat too. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I, I think, um, and that's going to be interesting too, Taylor, because Steve Sarkeesian likes to run the two tight end set. He uses those guys to, to run motion, to help the quarterback determine if a defense is in zone or man, to create mismatches for Bijan Robinson uh, in the running game and in the passing game and for all the receivers. So how many receivers does he play at one time? Does he you know, play three receivers um, and, and two tight ends, one running back? It's going to be interesting because he's got a lot of talent in the running back and receiver room and he doesn't substitute all that much. So, I mean, he, he definitely will rotate Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, but you know, Jonathan Brooks is a talented guy. So is Keelan Robinson. I mean, this is going to be, there's a reason that Steve Sarkeesian's making the big bucks and, and in the age of the transfer portal, he's got to keep a lot of guys happy. Yeah. 100%. I mean, you have to re-recruit your roster pretty much every single year and you know, that. Yeah, every week. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's true. I mean, my goodness, that, that is very true. So, yeah, I mean, this is – I mean, I, I feel like, Chip, if you look at just the the current – we'll say on, on offense, obviously, because that's Steve Sarkeesian's side of the ball. Um, it, it's it's kind of wild. I mean, I, I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself, okay? but well, So I'm going to preface this with I'm not trying to get too far ahead of myself. I'm not trying to – sunshine pump, you know, Texas fans and get their hopes up. Cause I still, you know, I think that this is going to be a difficult season, but really when you look at all the way that the dominoes have fallen for Texas, this off season chip, I mean, just the fact alone that we are talking about a group, not just one or two, you know, single out players, but a group of dynamic skill players on offense, aside from Bijan Robinson and aside from Xavier Worthy. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian has got to be like, you know, jumping for joy, just looking at the arsenal of weapons that he does have to utilize because he didn't have that last year. And I think that, you know, obviously Texas fans were angry about the way that the season played out and rightfully so. You never want to be sitting at home watching, you know, other teams play, especially when you're in a program like Texas, you know. And so I think that, um, you know, to go from there to this point, it's hard not to kind of get excited to see what this offense could actually look like, could this look like a Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama type of style of offense at Texas? And, you know, it's hard not to wonder if that is in the cards for Texas, maybe even as early as 2022 chip. Obviously there's other things that need to play, you know, play out the, the line or the, excuse me, offensive line needs to do something. I mean, my goodness, it would be good to have, you know, more bodies to actually put together an offensive line. And some of these true freshmen, I believe are really going to have to be called upon early for substantial playing time. But, you know, if, if that unit can get together, look out. I mean, this could be this could be a special, special offense 
for Texas if all of these things fall in line here. So don't want to get too far ahead. Don't want to hike too much. But it's hard not to wonder what, you know, how dynamic this offense is going to look in year two under Steve Sarkeesian's watch. Right. And the key is in a lot of people's minds is they're already projecting Quinn Ewers to be a star. Mm -hmm. And so as you see all these predictions saying Texas, you know, should win the big 12 in 2022, which I'm, I'm like tap the brakes. Yes, I, mean, I think I Vegas has the over under win total at eight and a half. And, and you're tempted to say, Whoa, what, what's going on here? I mean, this is a team that clearly had a mindset problem last year. Now we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later. Steve Sarkeesian saying, you know, I didn't do a good, good enough job connecting with my team at this time last year, we were all over the place. We were in the North end, you know, our, our coaches were on the seventh floor. The team was in meetings on the eighth floor and visitor locker room and all this stuff. But this was a team with a mindset problem and a, some, some players, maybe there was addition by subtraction, but we got to wait and see because what happens when adversity strikes, does this team curl up in a ball or do they now have this newfound confidence because they've got so many new players, talented players who are pushing them that much harder in practice so that there's sort of a built-in confidence there that, that we saw in the first decade of the two thousands under Mac Brown that has been lacking since. And they've missed on the quarterback position. So if Quinn Ewers can come in and be the highest rated player in the 2021 recruiting class and play like it. Now I'm expecting growing pains. I mean, Taylor, I've reported this a bunch. Quinn Ewers exceeded Hudson card in interceptions during the spring by a mile. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a ton of turnovers. So great. That happens in the spring. You spend all summer cleaning it up. You come into fall camp, you're a smarter quarterback. You know what you're looking at. But if, if he is a bit of a gunslinger and there are turnovers and he's a quiet guy, where's the leadership on offense? Where's the vocal leadership on offense? We know Roshan Johnson will do it. I think Bijan Robinson will do it, but we got to see how this team responds to adversity before racing out there and, and anointing them. I, I don't know who their main playmaker is on defense. Yeah. Like, you know, we knew Joseph Osai was, was the tip of the spear uh, a couple of years ago, but last year we thought it was going to be DeMarvian Overshawn, but everything kept breaking down. And so you, you couldn't even tell who was playing well on defense and who wasn't, it all looked so bad. So, and you just moved three guys from other positions to the safety position and you're counting on them to be the answer. And Steve Sarkeesian says we did that to as part of this philosophical shift to play more man coverage, be able to cover, uh, you know, more man so that we can bring a defender down into the box to help against the run. Okay. If that's Gary Patterson coming through, which I think it is, makes me feel better, but players still have to carry it out on the field. Yeah. They still have to do their job. I mean, a coach can coach a, a, unit or a you know position group perfectly put him in the perfect position but if the player doesn't make the plays then that's a problem and I think that's you know when you talk about especially the the secondary and the safety position chip that still remains one of the biggest question marks because while I do 
I'm trying to think the right way to say this because it's going to come out probably pretty harsh. Um, I, I will say that I probably have a little bit more faith in the safety position right now after spring football than I even did last year. And that was with guys that had been playing the position. I just thought that the guys they had last year just really just mailed it in a lot. And so, you know, I think you kind of have to sit here and just like, you know, put the benefit of the doubt a little bit and the trust into the coaching staff to know that, okay, these guys are going to be better than even experienced players, like at safety, for instance, but still there's the unknown there. And you definitely don't want the the back end of your defense being a liability because it's going to change everything. You know, I mean, you could be the best defensive coordinator or the best defensive coach in the world, but <laughs> if the back end of your defense doesn't do its job, I mean, that is literally a liability on every single play. And so, um, you know, that, that will send any coach packing a lot of time. So this is going to be still very interesting, but I will say, and maybe this is too harsh because the safeties were, were so bad last year, but like, am I, am I crazy to say that I almost feel that the position's stronger, even though there's really no starters back there that have ever played the position? Yeah. Because I think you've got guys who care and I think you've yeah. got guys who love football guys like, you know, Anthony cook and Keaton Crawford and Jade Barron. And I think Jaron Thompson can can have a good career at Texas. He he had a very up and down season last year. Started five games, got benched, uh, had some tough moments, especially in the OU game. Um, but he's made some plays and we've seen I always go back to Brandon Jones. He struggled his first two years at Texas, his junior year. He might've been the best player in the big 12 on defense. That's how big of a jump he made. And, and we we can see jumps like that. Uh, but you, you need to be in the same system. You need to have continuity. You got to know what the players around you are going to do. And that's the hardest part for me is that Anthony cook, the first time he's out on the field with either Keaton Crawford or Jaron Thompson will be the first time they're on the field together yeah. in a game. And, there's got to be a familiarity and a comfort level. Uh, who can I trust? And and it better be you can trust everybody because this defense was so bad last year in terms of just inexplicable, you know, put, play great for a half breakdown or not play great at all, you know, against um, Kansas. You're sitting there going, what is happening here uh, at home? Right. Um, so it's, and then they play against K state. Some guys get benched. There's great effort. They win that game. And, and you're thinking, okay, well, where was that earlier in the year? But it's happening. Now you bring in Gary Patterson, all these guys up front should be at the point where they're ready to win. Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton, you know, Moro Ojimo, all these guys should be at the point where they don't just want to get on the field. They want to win. Right. And those guys have to be the leaders up front. You always want the biggest guys on your offense and defense to also be your leaders because those are the guys everyone's afraid of yeah. within the locker room and it's time. So we'll see. But um, I have to say this, Taylor, in terms of the leadership, I, I had a chance to talk to Tashard Choice, the running backs coach uh, for the insider last week. And I thought the coolest thing he said was that he's been trying to you know, instill in the mindset of Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson that 
individual success doesn't mean anything without team success. So make sure your teammates are doing what they need to be doing to be able to win. Yeah. You know, you put it on them. It's not just knowing your job. You guys are talented and special enough. You got to go make sure the rest of the locker room is doing what needs to be done. And that's when the players are policing the players and leading uh, from within. And that's, that's something that seems obvious when you have players like B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. But when you have a coach telling you every day that it's like that's part of your job, I think that's really, really important because there were times uh, this offense uh, hit some ruts last year and couldn't get out of them. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's huge too, Chip, because not only – obviously, you know, a guy like B. John Robinson going into his junior year – almost certainly this will be his last year at Texas. It's hard not to predict that he's going to, or it's hard to say that anything other than that, you know, I think he will potentially be a first round draft pick after, you know, in the 2023 NFL draft. But when you think of a guy like that, I mean, he, Steve Sarkeesian is the first one to say he does everything right. He's an even better person, you know, than he is a football player and he's a pretty dang good football player too. And you know, but the overall team, Chip, that impacts him too. I mean, look back at when when Deontay Foreman, you know, in 2016, he had that breakout season, rushed for over 2,000 yards, and he only did it in 11 games because he missed a game, so didn't even play a full season. And he rushed for over 2,000 yards, first one since Ricky Williams, you know, at Texas to go that length. And he didn't even get an invite to the Heisman ceremony. Didn't even get an invite. And if you compare his numbers to some other running backs – Per game, Deontay Foreman absolutely 1,000% deserved at least an invite. But the problem was he was on a terrible team. He was on a team that didn't win games. They went 5-7, and seven and Charlie Strong got fired. And, you know, uh, Deontay Foreman won the, the um, oh, excuse me, I, the Doak Walker Award, you know, as the best running back in college football. But then he even is the second team all-American running back behind a guy that was at San Diego State at the time. It's like that. that's how much a team can really, really impact – personal success too. And if these guys want to see a guy like Bijan, who I think you and I, I think you would agree with me, Chip. I mean, Bijan's one of those special guys. Like the, the minute that he came on campus and started talking to us, you just knew it. You, this is a different, this is a different type of player. He's elite in everything that he does, but he's also understands like the personal side of it, the personable side of it. And he's a great leader just by his actions. And it's like, I'm hoping at this point there are players on Texas roster that want to spotlight him and give him, you know, an even bigger platform and a bigger spotlight because he deserves it. And he has the talent to be the guy that can help turn Texas or bring Texas back or whatever you want to say it. He is the type of player that can do it. And these players, you know, aside from that's a great point that, you know, Tashar Choice brought up because not only does it impact the overall success of the team, but it also, the team can impact the personal success of guys like Bijan Robinson. And I mean, I know, obviously I'm still talking about it. 2016, I thought Deontay Foreman got absolutely screwed. Like I couldn't believe that he wasn't even a finalist, but it just goes to show the team really didn't have this back in helping promote that either. Cause they lost seven games and didn't go to a bowl game and the you know, head coach was fired. So that's something, you know, that's a culture thing. I think that's something that you want to see a mentality shift in the locker room. I think it has to come from that. And that's kind of a random thing. But when we're talking about personal accolades, you want to have a team that's fighting for your best players on your team. 
And will Texas have that this year? They didn't have it last year. Will they have it this year? That's to be determined, I think, right now. Right. Yeah. And have you ever seen a more humble guy driving around in a Lamborghini? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he talks about how he's in his Bible every morning and is all about his faith. And he says hi to everybody. I mean, everybody he comes across, he says hi to. He's as personable as a as a person as you'll find. And then he gets on the field and the guy's got balance like a high wire walker, except that he's 220 running over people, running around people, doesn't go down from side tackles, can catch the football like a receiver, was the third leading receiver on this football team a year ago. Uh, talent, you know, coming out of his pores, the NFL scouts I talked to all have him as a first round pick. So uh, it is, and they all love Roshan Johnson too. I mean, and Roshan Johnson got recruited hard to leave Texas uh, this past off season and kudos to Roshan Johnson for, for turning down, um, you know, undoubtedly some nice NIL offers to stay with Texas. And that guy, if you took a vote, would be the heart and soul leader of this football team. I'm talking about Roshan Johnson. And and Bijan would probably be a close second because they see how hard Roshan Johnson has worked to move from quarterback to running back and how hard he's you know, put in all the, the things that you have to do to make that kind of position switch, he's going to play in the NFL. I mean, if you listen to our, if you're a religious uh, follower of our flagship podcast interviews, Michael Griffin said, there is no doubt that Roshan Johnson is going to play on Sundays. He's what the NFL is made up of. He'll do special teams. He'll do whatever it takes. He'll play safety. He'll, he'll play linebacker. You just get him out on the field. He's, he's the kind of guy who's going to make plays. So, I think it's going to be fun to watch if the mindset of this football team, how much that has changed from that, uh-oh, here we go again, five and seven, six-game losing streak, somehow lost at home to Kansas. I hate to take people back there, but, folks, you are what your record says you are. You lost at home to Kansas. So how vastly different is the mindset of this football team going into the 2022 season with Nick Saban in Alabama rolling into town on September 10th and um, you know, Jeff trailer. And I know he's lost some key players from that, that uh, what 12 and uh, well, 11, one regular season team uh, at UTSA last year. Um, anyway, it could be formidable. It could be the big jump that Baylor made last year from two and seven under Dave Aranda to, conference champions. Although how Mike Gundy's team didn't win that big 12 championship game oh, is beyond me. That's a whole nother story, but Taylor, I think it's, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch the mindset of this team. Um, they need to follow what the UT women's tennis team did in this past season. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Another back to back national champions. Right. Yeah. 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 And I'll just say this real quick because I know we'll we'll get to love it or leave it. And I want to say something about Ivan Melendez too, the Big Twelve Player of the Year. But, um, you know, the Texas women's tennis team, and I played tennis. I still play tennis, so that's a sport that's near and dear to my heart. But this was a team. Oh, here we go. Club kid, as our late great Shane Adams grew up on the public courts of Kalamazoo, Michigan. But anyway, so you had this 
you had this all freshman team last year, kind of the fab five freshmen and they win the national championship. And then you had Lulu son, uh, you know, turn pro you lost, uh, your only senior, but you bring in three really talented, uh, freshman recruits. Well, they had injuries, they had, um, you know, some petty differences about who should be playing where to the point where Howard Joffe, the head coach told me, I told him, you all don't act like a team. So until you start acting like a team, I'm, I don't know that I need to be coaching. You know, you, you all have to decide if you're going to be a team first. And he basically put it on them. And then you had the story of Sabina Zainalova from Ukraine. Her family lives in the capital city of Kiev. The war breaks out on February 24th as the team is at Cal um, to play and they're on their Cal Stanford trip. She's devastated. Her family uh, has to leave Kiev and she wear, you know, the rest of the year, she wore the, the Ukrainian ribbon uh, either on her hat or on her uh, tank top and played with the guts of a warrior is, is what Howard Joffe told me. And he said he, he fought, she fought um, the way her country, uh, you know, persons are fighting. And she went 23 and one at third singles as a freshman and was one of the winning points in the national championship match against Oklahoma and is just a phenomenal story. And I think that brought this team together as well. They rallied around Sabina. And they suddenly realize our petty differences don't mean anything. Her family's house is, you know, under siege. So unbelievable comeback. They got housed by OU the first two times they played them. They lost the Big 12 regular season title to OU. Then they go to NCAAs. They knock off number one North Carolina. And who do they meet in the finals for the NCAA championship? But their dreaded Red River, uh, you know, counterparts Oklahoma and they take them down four to one. So awesome stuff about team chemistry because they did not have it. Howard Joffe told me I would have rather spent a hundred thousand dollars on lottery tickets than think that this team could have gotten um, to back to the NCAA finals, let alone win it. So that tells you how far that team went during the season to get their, their inter workings correct. And, Kudos. That was a fun team to follow as they just kept getting better and better. And now back to back national champions. Yeah. And that's a great story, Chip. I'm, I appreciate you. I think our listeners will appreciate hearing that side of it too. But yeah, you, you hope that Texas football can take some notes on, you know, maybe allowing adversity to benefit them instead of hinder them. Cause that's what, you know, last year, what happened, it was, adversity struck and everyone went their own way and you want to, you know, a team you want to see come together in those moments. And that's uh, you know, great for Texas women's tennis. Congratulations, ladies and Texas football. Take some notes from the girls, women's intuition. Women's are, women are always right. Okay. I'm just going to say that they always are. And just start taking notes, you know, cause uh, obviously it worked for them and they have more national championships than Texas football does in you know, the 2000s. So there we go. There you go. There's a hot take right there. <laughs> All right. One more quick hot take before we get to love it or leave it. Um, Taylor, Ivan Melendez named the big 12 uh, player of the year today in uh, uh, by the big 12. And 
this guy's having an unbelievable year and I have been saying he needs to win the Dick Hauser trophy, uh, the Heisman trophy of college baseball, because listen to what Ivan Melendez we're done with the regular season. As of today, we're recording on Tuesday. Texas baseball is going to take the field at nine in the morning on Wednesday, uh, May 25th at globe life field in Arlington for the first round of the big 12 tournament. That is a, Interesting matchup considering Oklahoma State swept Texas in Austin, including that game where Texas blew a seven-run lead, gave up 10 runs on four hits in the seventh inning, and lost 10-8. Uh, to eight. It was the worst loss of the season for Texas, and they've got to try and avenge it. But Ivan Melendez is batting 421. That is second in the nation. He leads the nation in home runs with 28. He um, leads the nation in uh, slugging percentage at 941. And he's third in on-base percentage at 531. This guy has put up numbers that are that exceed previous Hauser Trophy winners like Anthony Rendon of Rice in, in 2010. He batted 394, 26 home runs with an 801 slugging percentage. Uh, Ivan Melendez is ahead of all those categories and there's not a dominant pitcher this year in college baseball. I, I, it's to me obvious that Ivan Melendez should be the Hauser trophy winner, which means he would have his name and number up in the dish. And I think he's, I think he's worthy of it, Taylor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, the, the season that he's having is, it's kind of honestly, Chip, it kind of goes back similar to like a, when we were talking about Deontay Foreman, it's like Texas baseball freaking do something for this guy. Like, look at what he is doing. I mean, this is, this is impressive beyond belief. I mean, you know, as, as you mentioned, all of the statistical categories, he, you know, is basically obviously the number one player in the big 12 as he was named the big 12 player of the year. But yeah, I mean, you don't usually, you don't see those type of numbers. Honestly, a lot of times in people's careers, let alone in a single season. I mean, this is one of the more impressive single seasons that I could. I mean, I guess you go back to Cody Clemens. He had a great year. Um, when was that? In 2018? Yep, was he it? was a finalist. He was a finalist for the Hauser Trophy. Yeah. And like you go back. But like, I mean, that's the only other player I can think of off the top of my head that had a type of season worthy well, of that type of recognition. And think about this, Taylor. He came back in large part because he had a very productive season last year at the plate, but he was at DH. Mm -hmm. Zach Zubia was the first baseman. Yeah. He wanted to come back and show scouts that he could field a position. He's fielding first base at a 998 clip. He has one error on the year. Um, he's been fantastic fielding his position. So you, you add all that with the offense, and, um, of course, Texas has obliterated the, the team home run record uh, thanks to you know his uh, huge home run production, but also for Murphy Staley and Trey Faltini and um, Skylar Messinger, who had a grand slam home run against his old team, Kansas, uh, this past weekend, which was kind of awesome. But Ivan Melendez, kudos to you for doing it all year. I mean, you're batting 421. He is flirting with the school record um of you know 429 the batting average season batting average of uh 429 uh held by i want to give kudos i think it's brian cesaric um because he probably doesn't get the love he should yep brian cesaric 1987 he 
batted 429 for the season. So um, there you go, Taylor. Now you ready for some love it or leave it? I am, Chip. Before we get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a quick break, but stick around because we have plenty more football talk in love it or leave it coming up next. So stay tuned. We will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a reminder, uh, Chip and I are wearing gray for the month of May. We're going gray in May in honor of Brain Tumor Awareness Month. And uh, we are honoring the daughter of 24-7 Sports National Editor Brandon Huffman. His daughter, Avery Huffman, fought um, a tough battle, seven and a half month battle with the deadly DIPG brain tumor. And uh, they have now since set up um, an organization, a 501c3 or charity organization in her honor. And you can join the cause to fight DIPG by going to AveryStrongDIPG.org for more information and to donate and join the cause because this is a terrible, terrible, terrible um, brain tumor that just absolutely destroys, you know, the lives of young children. And um, we're Avery Strong this month. We're Avery Strong every month. And you can be too. So go to AveryStrongDIPG.org. But with that, Chip, you ready for some love it or leave it? Let's do it. All right. My first one for you is love it or leave it. Picking up Iowa State grad transfer receiver Tariq Milton is a ho-hum development for Texas after missing on Jordan Addison. Well, some Texas fans may feel like they should love this, but I am leaving it because I kind of wondered if they could like keep everyone happy if they got Jordan Addison. And look, the ones that weren't happy probably – it would have been okay for them to go, but um, you bring in a Tariq Milton with his experience, his ability to play inside and outside. He's a grad transfer. He's had production. He scored a touchdown against Texas last year on a double pass, a 49 yard touchdown uh, reception. And the key to this Taylor is that the Iowa state coaches and players loved Tariq Milton. Mm -hmm. He's a good locker room guy. So in a, in a room with some young talent, and some new talent. I mean, Isaiah Nayers got 12 touchdown catches from last year. And Ajayi Hall is a guy who thinks and acts like he had 12 touchdown catches last year, but is a super talented guy. And, and then you got Jordan Whittington, but you need some more veteran voices in that room and a guy who, if there is an injury, can come in and, and not only just plug the hole, but make plays. And that's the problem with where we were last year when Josh Moore quit the team, Marcus Washington, 
you didn't know what you were going to get from Marcus Washington. Some, some drives, it was money. Other drives, when you needed him the most, it was a drop, you know, contested catch or not. You got to make the catch. And, and so I think this room is a lot better with Tariq Milton in it. So I am leaving that one, Taylor. How about you? Yeah, I'm definitely leaving it. It goes back to pretty much what you just said, but what I mentioned also earlier in the show. I mean, you know, this is a group that needs, um, I, I say stability, probably consistency and stability and hearing, you know, positive news out of Ames about what Tariq Milton brings to the table. You know, a veteran guy, he transfers to Texas with um, over 1,500 receiving yards in his career in the four seasons that he did play in Iowa State. Mind you, there was um, injuries that he dealt with in 2020 that kind of held him back after that breakout 2019 season. But, you know, this is um, this is a power five transfer receiver who knows what to do. And like, you know, I, obviously Iowa State, I think there's still kind of a stigma that most people in the Big 12 probably still have. It's kind of similar to Kansas football, too. It's like the, oh, it's Iowa State type of thing, which is obviously Matt Campbell's come in there and he's totally changed, should have changed that mindset from other opposing fan bases because, um, I mean, he's beaten quite a few of the Big 12 teams consistently. And so, you know, I think um, that this player coming from Matt Campbell, who is known to have a the quote-unquote five-star culture that Brees Hall talked about last season, um, kind of in a knock against Texas, having the five-star players and not five-star culture. Well, this guy comes from a five-star culture too. Culture was an issue for Texas last year, no doubt about it. Steve Sarkeesian will probably say it till he's blue in the face. Um, I think it was even more than he probably expected, to be honest, a more of an uphill battle than he expected. And he was pretty honest all, all year, even before the season started, about how it's going to be an uphill battle to change the culture. So, you know, all that to say, I think, you know, the experience plus him coming from a school that has, you know, a, a very um, defined culture and one that um, players hold each other accountable and a school like Iowa State can really start making a change in the college football ranks. I mean, you know, that came from Matt Campbell, that came from that culture, that came from these players. So, yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you. I'm going to leave that because this is not a ho-hum development at all, in my opinion. All right. Love it or leave it number two. All right. My second one is love it or leave it. You have faith that Steve Sarkeesian's philosophical shift on defense will work. Okay. If you bring in Gary Patterson and you've got talent and we know Texas has talent because you look at DeMarvin over Sean, you look even Jalen Ford. Remember Jalen Ford was the third leading tackler on the team last year and he hardly started and you look at Anthony Cook you look at you know I mean Jade Barron and Keaton Crawford are the type of guys that Gary Patterson used to recruit to TCU a little bit undersized but really hungry and Texas recruited the six foot two ten flat hundred guys like Tyler Owens and Tyler Owens didn't do anything so my point is, if they can't make this work, then I don't know what has happened to that side of the ball uh, at Texas because there's talent there. It's just got to be coordinated. Guys need to know what their job is and become more of a team. So 
Um, I'm going to love this, Taylor, because I don't know how it can get much worse <laughs> than it did last year. How about you? Yeah, I was going to say that. It's like, could it get worse? I mean, I don't, I don't even want to ask that question. God forbid. I pray it can't get worse because we love our, our loyal listeners and our fans and our Horse 24-7 members. But gosh, sometimes y'all can be a handful after bad performances, especially bad defensive performances. <laughs> so if we can avoid that, then I'm going to have all the faith in the freaking world that Steve Sarkeesian's philosophical shift on defense will work. But no, I, I agree. I mean, it, it can't get much worse to begin with. But also, Chip, I think that, you know, um, when, when we've heard about the issues the miscommunications, the lack of communication um, on especially the defensive side of the ball, I still, you know, it's hard for me not to wonder how much of that also was because the coaches were still, you know, they, they were all new coaching together. I mean, the defense coordinator didn't pick his assistant coaches and that or position coaches, excuse me. And that's pretty rare. Um, you know, and so I do think that having another year under the staff's belt working together, you would hope would automatically, you know, lead to better communication and better product on the field. If everyone's on the same page, you don't really know about that. But I, I do agree with you um, in a sense that there, you know, there's talent across the board. Now it's a lot of it's unproven. They still got to They've got to show it still. But at this point, you have to have faith that they're going to show it. Because if not, why? Why are they at Texas? You know, if they just have talent, then they just you know enroll and they're just want to be the cool guys on campus that just play football and tell all the girls they play football. Then you're probably at the wrong school. And this is definitely not the coaching staff. I think that you want to be playing for if that is your mentality. So. Yeah, I think I'm going to just – I'm going to have to agree with you. Um, I do have faith that this philosophical shift on defense will work better than it did last year. So I don't know if that's like an asterisk by <laughs> saying that or what, but I do think that, you know, just any type of, you know, um, just constant repetition even with the coaches together I think is really crucial and that's probably a side that was overlooked a lot last season and looking at when things really broke down you know there was no communication it's like well the coaches probably didn't really know how to communicate either to an ex you know a certain extent um so yeah I think I think this is going to be a better situation for everyone and God, I hope so too for the Texas fans and for our members of horse 24/7 I want y'all to have a good even keeled, relaxing football season that does not call for people's jobs after one loss or one bad performance. That's my hope. So, <laughs> well, and you look at the, the big 12 and, you know, Brock Purdy's gone. Caleb Williams is gone. Um, heck Jerry Bohannon quarterback from big 12 champion Baylor is gone. And you do have Spencer Sanders back at Oklahoma state, but there's a lot of turnover and, and so typically that means that the defense gets a little bit of an advantage when you're playing first time starters at quarterback. So we'll see how that, uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, Texas on the road this year in the conference at Oklahoma state at Texas tech at Kansas and at Kansas state, obviously they play OU in the cotton bowl, but uh, everyone else coming to Austin. So um, we'll see how that plays out. All right, Taylor, Who's love it. Or... Kansas State game this year. Which one of us is drawing the Kansas State game? Which one of us is covering that this year? Oh, I'm. I got that. You got it. I got Wait, it. So a little behind the scenes. I love Manhattan, Kansas. First of all, I'm going to preface it with that. Like 
it's such a college town. It's the tiniest little thing. But if you ever had the opportunity to just like spend a football weekend in, you know, I think they call it Aggieville um, in Manhattan, Kansas, you definitely should um, stay there or over Kansas City. But in saying that, it is a beat down of a travel trip because you're either flying into Kansas City and driving, what, two and a half hours, or you're flying into Manhattan, Kansas, and you're on a you know, a plane from Dallas to Manhattan that basically has 20 seats on it. And uh, if you're like me and get a little claustrophobic, it is not fun. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of one of our behind the scenes. We kind of have some road trips every year where we're like, who's going to do it this year? And I think K-State in Kansas too, usually those ones whenever they're away games. Yeah. I like well, K-State personally, so, but. Yeah, it also depends on if it's an early game or a late game, that drive, if it's a night game back to Kansas city, Oh yeah. You, you don't even, you just, you're going pitch to the hotel dark. to check out basically and go to the airport. Yeah. So. And it's pitch dark and nobody yeah. around. Yeah. It's definitely scary, which is usually why I stay in Manhattan. So I don't have to deal with yeah. that. <laughs> there you go. Travel tips with Taylor. Yes, absolutely. All right. You ready for the third one ship? I'm ready. All right. Love it or leave it. Steve Sarkeesian saying he failed at connecting with his team at this time one year ago while the team was displaced to the north end of DKR during renovations is irrelevant right now. Well, I don't think it's irrelevant right now if Steve Sarkeesian and his staff are doing everything they can to establish those connections now. Um, lesson learned. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this. Uh, because look, from what I'm hearing, this coaching staff's doing a pretty good job of staying connected to players. Like I mentioned, you had guys getting recruited like Xavier Worthy, Roshan Johnson, Jade Barron. Um, they stayed. And I think it's because they have a respect for this coaching staff and, and their teammates. I think they are becoming more of a team. Now, it's a whole nother thing when you're in a hundred degree heat and you've been out on the field for three hours and it's coming down to the final drive and you got Bryce young over there at Alabama. Uh, we got to see how this, this team handles all of that, but I'm going to leave this because um, first I give Sarkeesian credit for doing the self evaluation, looking in the mirror and saying, where did it go wrong? And him deciding, you know what, we didn't build a strong enough connection in our offseason because we weren't doing enough together, um, which is plausible. So I'm going to leave this, Taylor, and and put this one under lesson learned for Steve Sarkeesian, and it sounds like he's trying to make sure that uh, the same mistake is not repeated. How about you? So you're going to leave it so you think it is relevant? I think it is relevant. Okay. Because I think they've taken that lesson and are now applying it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's probably um, – man, that's kind of hard. I'm, I'm like kind of torn on this one if I want to love it or leave it because I, I do think it's it's relevant and it's relevant and it's important, as you mentioned, you know, for Steve Sarkeesian to do that self-evaluation and really look at himself and what, could, what he could have done to do better. Obviously, you always – I think want coaches who are trying to better themselves first before they try to demand better, you know, player better better um, performance from anybody that they're leading to. 
So I think that's big. Um, the other part, I feel like it is a little irrelevant now because, I mean, last year was just so weird. You know what I mean? I think that's where it's like, do you really want to go back into what happened last year um, when now a 30-year roster is totally new? I mean, a lot of a lot of the players that were there during that time are, aren't on campus anymore. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn on this one. Um, I think I'll probably go with you and I'll say – uh, I'll leave it and say that it it is relevant now in the fact that the message needs to come from Steve Sarkeesian to the the team, like you know him taking accountability and changing it in the future. Um, I don't know. This was a this was a difficult one for me to kind of answer there. So I think I'm just gonna. Yeah, it's, it's one of those intangible. Yeah, yeah, because it's like the nebulous team building. Yeah. <laughs> You want, to, you want to learn from mistakes, obviously. And there was that was a mistake, you know, um, that Steve Sarkeesian probably didn't know at the time that was really going to break down at the worst time possible, you know, in, in the middle of season. So, you know, that that's obviously important. But at the same time, it's like, do you really want to dwell on the past? I mean, I'm pretty sure Sark probably never wants to hear the word monkey or anything again in his life. You know, I mean, there's just so many things that went down last year that it's just like, yeah, we remember the whole staff got COVID. The whole coaching staff yeah. got COVID right after they got onto campus. Yeah. So and they start practice spring practice and then and they had to delay it because <laughs> players came back from spring break with COVID. So <laughs> yeah, it was one of those years that whoa, man. Yeah. And we had Josh Thompson on the flagship podcast interview and we asked him, Hey, what was Sark like going through all that? Monkey gate and and Bo Davis getting secretly recorded and loss after loss. And he was like, he kept it real the whole time. I mean, you could tell Josh Thompson uh, had a respect for Steve Sarkeesian. And uh, that's important because you, you find out what people are made of when they're going through adversity and when they're uh, when the stress and the pressure is on and how do they keep their team from feeling that, that stress and pressure and, and continue to stay loose and and moving forward in terms of their their football uh, knowledge and experience. So I thought that was a positive. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, if if one of your veteran leaders on the team is the one that's saying that how, that's how you are, I mean, I would rather people be real with me than fake or phony or anything. You can see right through that. And I think, you know, regardless of who it is. I think anybody can see through any type of phony facade. And obviously I don't think it sounds like, you know, everything we heard Steve was Sarkeesian was very real and open with the team. And, and he was real and open, I think with us to an extent too, Chip. I mean, you know, as media members, there's obviously going to be sometimes where there's contentious moments between coaches and media when they're asking tough questions. A lot of coaches obviously don't want to answer those questions. And sometimes they make it very clear they don't want to answer those questions, but overall, you know, I never really felt like Sark like sugar coated, coated too much um, with us in year one and, you know, with the media, when I say us as in the media. And so, you know, that wouldn't surprise me if he takes that into the locker room too. Yeah. Well, uh, good to have you back, Taylor. And to thanks to everybody for, for listening. We've got a lot going on on the 40 acres, um, including – NCAA championships, heck, the the men's golf team, number six in the nation, starts uh, playing for the national championship on Friday. You got Texas baseball in the Big 12 tournament um, and softball 
is has made it to the super regional round. Mike White, how about that? He's been to the super regional every year of his coaching career. That's pretty darn impressive. Twelve is. years, nine in Oregon, three at Texas. Um, so we got a lot going on, and we are here to cover it all for you. So uh, until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. But for Taylor Estes, I'm Chip Brown. Thanks for listening, and stay safe and keep the faith.